Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning, First Alliance Church. It's really a joy for Agnes and I to be with you. Uh, We'd love if we were all in the building together, but uh, I know you're in your homes. Maybe some of you are driving wherever you are. I pray that this moment would lead you to a place of a fresh encounter with the living Christ. I was praying over you this morning, and this is what I prayed, that the love of God the Father would fall fresh on you today. And if you're feeling any chaos, any anxiety, or any fear, that it would dissipate as the incredible, immeasurable, unlimited love of God the Father just pours out on your soul like fresh rain. I want you to hear the words of Jesus this morning. He says these profound words. Do not be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Oh, I was dead, but now look. It's a powerful command. Now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of Hades and death. L.O. King, a great leader of the Christian Mystery Alliance from years ago, said that the genius of the Alliance is Christ himself. Our attachment to him is the bond that holds us together. It determines our relationship to each other. And our message to the world is Jesus only. Were you not riveted by Lisa's testimony, the proclamation of the word of God to the least among the world, to those who have never heard or never had access to Jesus. Our message is hallelujah, Jesus only. And our mission is to make him known in all his fullness everywhere. In this unique moment of history, when all of us are kind of in a lament place where we recognize it's been a full year since we've been able to gather together as a, as a full church family. What I want to say to you in these next few moments is simply this, that we need, I believe, more than a word of encouragement. Oh, yes, we need lots of encouragement. But I want to declare to you, we need a fresh encounter with the living and glorious Jesus. Several years ago, uh, one of my friends, an Air Canada pilot, took me down with his co-pilot to the, uh, the, to the Toronto uh, airport and into this large building where they had all the simulators. And I was going to be able to, to ride along with them as they were in their simulator training. Well, it even got better than that. They actually gave me a screen, and on that screen, I could push any button I wanted that would create a disaster that they would have to find a way out of. And so we took off, and we were in a beautiful flight pattern. Great LED screens were lit up before us. And all of a sudden, I pushed fire in engine one. And the entire cockpit came alive with bells and whistles. And I watched the two pilots frantically work to stabilize the situation. And as soon as they stabilized the aircraft, I pushed fire in engine two, and it started all over again. I could see beads of sweat coming down their faces. They were working feverishly to, to, to enable the aircraft to be stabilized. And then I pushed a button that simply had one word, decompression. And all of a sudden, that simulator took us from 39,000 feet down to 10,000 feet. It was an incredible and a wild ride. I remember one of us, I think it was me, who screamed in a very high-pitched, effeminate scream. It was literally terrifying. And finally, they were able to stabilize the aircraft. And I remember my friend turning to me and saying these words, do not push any more buttons. Folks, this last year has been a wild ride. 
And many of us, I know, are feeling exhausted and overwhelmed. And the temptation for us is to step back, to, to check out, to, to remove ourselves to a place of isolation. And yet I believe that in the midst of this pandemic, God is calling us to actually infuse our lives with fresh mission passion. I do hear the longing of many of our people in our churches who say things like, I feel more insecure than ever before. I find that I'm emotionally exhausted and less productive. For the first time, I'm considering early retirement. Some are seeing an increased tension and division in their congregation over how to respond to the pandemic. Someone once said, I had no idea how overwhelmed and sad I would feel by accumulated losses. And one person summed it up in three words, soul-sucking season. Friends, the temptation in a moment like this, however, is to multiply solutions and to minimize solitude. To introduce new ideas, to change it up a little bit. And there have been lots of amazing changes in the church. But I wonder if it's not about new ideas, but rather about increased intimacy with Jesus. Could it be that that's what God is calling us for in this moment of history? Perhaps the key to energizing missional passion in the midst of a pandemic is not by initiating innovative programs, but rather by a radical change of perspective. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is in 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha and his servant are in Dotham, and they are surrounded by the Aramean army. And it looks like all is lost. And early in the morning, the servant rises, and he sees the, the city surrounded by this army. And his first words to Elisha the prophet are, what shall we do? Isn't that typical of us? In the midst of moments of crisis, the first thing we always ask is, what shall we do? How can we get out of this? When can we return to normal? But notice Elisha's response. He says, don't be afraid. What a great word. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. You see, he was able to see between the thin veil of what he thought was reality, but what was the actual reality behind the veil. And that's why he said these profound words. And I think these are prophetic words for the church today. Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And my cry to you as First Alliance Church in this moment, oh God, would you open our eyes to see, to see what you are actually doing in this moment of history. Because what we see will actually determine how we live. And I'm convinced that in this moment of time, we do not primarily need a different kind of doing. I'm actually convinced we need a different kind of seeing. And that mission-focused passion is really ignited in a vibrant and unveiled vision of Jesus. The year is 96 AD. The emperor Domitian, a highly insecure man, instituted emperor worship, declaring that everyone must worship him as Lord and God. The church was under siege for not obeying Caesar's edict. Christians were being harassed, losing their homes, being imprisoned and murdered without mercy, overwhelmed by accumulated losses. Over 40,000 had been killed at this moment. But John, a fearless leader who would not bow his knee to a mere mortal, was banished to the island of Patmos, a barren, isolated Roman work camp in the Aegean Sea. But it was in that place of isolation limitation and humiliation that John did not receive a to-do list from God, but rather a stunning revelation of the risen, 
all-powerful Christ. It was a revelation that revived his heart and energized his mission for the nations. It was in that moment on the Isle of Patmos that, that God uh, opened the curtain, as it were, to what he was really doing and hear this stunning missional vision that was given to John. And after this, he said, I looked. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands as they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Hallelujah. In the midst of a pandemic, God is still building His church. The nations are still coming to Christ. And just behind the veil is the majestic, profound work of an almighty God. Daryl Johnson in his book, Discipleship on the Edge, suggested the book of Revelation really is a peeling back of the curtain. It's about helping us see the unseen realities of the future. Friends, I want to declare it over you. Jesus Christ is coming back again. Amen? That's the glorious hope. And folks, I read the end of the book and we actually win. Come on, that's good news. This is a moment of history that we need to be filled with hope. But Darrell goes on to say that it's not only the unseen realities of the future, but the unseen realities of the present. In other words, things are seldom as they appear. 40 times in the book of Revelation, John uses the word, I saw. 32 times, I heard. Because he's helping us realize that just behind the veil, there is the actual reality of what is going on. And so you could say for John, it was, uh, uh, you know, a crazed emperor, Domitian, who was slaughtering the church. But no, 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 what does John see? In Revelation chapter 5, he sees it's not Caesar that's on the throne. Hallelujah, it's the Lamb who was slain. Jesus Christ is at the center of the throne. That's profound. In a day when we feel uncertain, in a day when we feel anxious, in a day when we are filled with fear, I want to declare to you, the lamb who was slain is still at the center of the throne. He's in complete control. So the missional question for this moment is not, what do we do? But what do we see? And what do we hear? And my prayer for our families of churches, oh, this is my, my earnest prayer for all of us today, is that God would open our eyes. Oh, that he would lift the curtain, that he would remove the veil to see the living Christ as he is now. And in seeing him, that our hearts would be set ablaze with mission-focused passion. But I'm going to suggest to you that the key to seeing is really all about posture. And the first posture, I believe, is a posture of hunger. Notice Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. On the Lord's day, John says, I was in the spirit and I heard a voice behind me. One of my friends, Rob Reamer, says this. Keep praying for greater encounters with God and resolve to ever be grateful for whatever God gives, but never satisfies, always seeking him for more of himself. It was Andrew Murray in 1906 in the Congo who was preaching to missionaries who said these profound words. The key to the missionary problem is the missionaries. He said they believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but they lack the encounter. There should never be a ministry that isn't filled with the presence and power and glory of Almighty God. I want to say to many in our churches, I think we have a good theology, but sometimes we lack the experience. 
We lack the actual encounter with, with the living Christ. We, we, we lack that sense of his palpable presence in our, in our lives and in our ministries. John knew what it was in this holy moment to be enveloped in an atmosphere of spirit-filled worship. It's no coincidence that John's encounter with Jesus occurred amid spirit-inflamed worship. Keisha, I'm glad you're part of this team. You are a woman who's filled with the spirit of God and you lead out of that. And I know you'll be a blessing to this congregation. But it's as we are enveloped in spirit-filled, spirit-inspired worship that we are given a more glorious picture of who Jesus is. Can I declare this over you? Never be afraid of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. Hallelujah. You can tell a congregation that's immersed in spirit-filled worship, they will be so enamored with the beauty, the glory, the passion, the majesty of Jesus. Oh man, this is good stuff. Because it's not about a program. And it's not about a place. I know some of you would prefer to be here than in your living room. But your living room can become a sanctuary for a visitation of the Almighty God right now. Because it's not about a place or a program. It's about a posture of deep hunger for God. Simpson, our founder, put it this way. He said, I had to learn to take from him my spiritual life every second, to breathe himself in as I breathe, and to breathe myself out. So moment by moment for the spirit and moment by moment for the body, we must receive. Uh, I'm a product of the Welsh Revival. My grandfather came to, to Christ in the 1904 to 1905 Welsh Revival. And as a, a young little boy, I would sit at his feet and he would tell me the stories of how the visitation of the Spirit of God transformed the churches with a glorious love for Jesus and a, a desire to proclaim his word. That in less than five months, over 100,000 people came to know Christ in Wales. But they would always start their services the same way. And uh, I've got Tim and, Tim and Andrew in the room. I love you guys. I am so thankful for you. But I was, I was about five minutes late because I, I walked around your church and this is what I prayed over your church. I prayed this Welsh prayer over your church. Oh, send the Spirit for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now still more powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. Because it's when we are enveloped in spirit-empowered, spirit-anointed worship that we see a fresh and glorious vision of Jesus. Yesterday's anointing is not enough for today's challenges. Hear me on this. One godly leader put it, and I love this, we need to be summoned to a private world that is deep and intimate and a public world that is bold and focused. It's often in a posture of spirit-saturated worship that we are given insight, direction, clarity, and wisdom. One of our partners from Asia contacted us recently and they were sharing how it's been very difficult in terms of what's been happening with the pandemic. They've been devastated by it and severe persecution has also broken out by the local authorities. And all of their pastors uh, who were normally coming to be trained in, in various training facilities, all those facilities have been closed so they've had to transition to WhatsApp. But in that part of the country, there isn't good cell coverage and many of these pastors are in remote villages where they, they can't connect with their cell service. So 
They shared about one pastor who was so hungry for the word of God, so hungry to be in passionate worship with others, that he took his cell phone, he left his village, and he began to walk through the forest until he could find cell coverage. And the only place he found cell coverage was actually up in a tree. And there he built a tree fort. And he goes there every single morning to worship God, to be encountered with God's word, to be transformed by a fresh vision of the living Christ. I tell you, folks, that's hunger. Oh, that we would have such an unquenchable, insatiable desire and a hunger for more of Christ that we would do whatever it takes that we would build tree forts wherever they need to be so that it could become a sanctuary for an encounter with the living Christ. The second posture is a posture of humility. John says, I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Later we come to realize that these lampstands are, are, are the seven churches in Asia Minor, but really are representative of, of all churches that follow Christ. And among the lampstands, Someone like the Son of Man. I love what Andrew Murray says. Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in a vision that God is all. Isn't that great? That's so powerful. John was overwhelmed, immersed, enraptured in a vision of Christ that literally knocked him off his feet. You see, John saw this vision of the unveiled Christ. He saw Jesus as he is now. Daryl Johnson writes these words. He says, I'm sure that as John sat on the rock piles, he was able to, to bring to mind all kinds of mental pictures of Jesus, and so can we. There is the, the picture of Jesus at Cana turning 120 gallons of water into vintage wine. There is the picture of Jesus in Jerusalem driving out the money changers. There is the picture of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Jesus calming the raging storm. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus himself outside the empty tomb. And every picture, Daryl Johnson says, would help John. But in this situation, one of great fear, John needed more. Full stop, pause, and so do we. He needed a, a, a vision of Christ as he is now. What did John see? He saw one like the Son of Man. If you go back into Daniel chapter 7, you realize that Daniel is talking about Almighty God. And here John is revealing that the, the Jesus, the Jesus that he knew, the Jesus that he walked with, the Jesus that he loved, was none other than the sovereign God of all. His dominion, says Daniel, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. He wore a priestly robe, meaning he was a bridge builder between broken, sinful humanity and a holy God. He bridged the gap with his very life. He laid down his life, shed his blood that we might know what it is to be forgiven and set free in an intimate relationship with Almighty God. The golden sash is around his chest, indicating, hallelujah, the work is finished. Oh, First Alliance Church, hear my heart on this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in Jesus' name, I break the power of shame over your lives. And I break off every lie that has held you in bondage. It's a king's robe. Jesus is king, enthroned above all rule, authorities, and power. His head and his hair are white like wool, like snow, because he's ageless, he's infinitely wise, he's perfectly clean. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. Oh my goodness, fire illuminates, fire penetrates. 
Jesus sees the junk in our lives, friends, and hallelujah, he burns it away. I want to declare this over you. No more secrets. Secrets are killing us in the church. And they're hollowing us out from the intimacy that God wants us to have. May the flaming eyes of Jesus pierce into those places and spaces of your soul and burn away all that is not of him and bring purity, life, and liberty. His feet are like molten metal. What a powerful image, strong and unmovable, yet burning away evil wherever he walks. His voice sounds like crashing waves. Oh, they're awe-inspiring. They're powerful and yet also calming at the same time. And in his right hands, he holds the seven stars. These were the messengers to the church. But more than that, I believe they also represented the seven planets that were known at that particular time in history. And what John declares is that Jesus he worships holds the seven planets in his hand. He is the ruler of the cosmos. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Hallelujah. That's powerful. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, a short blade, razor sharp for close up surgery of our soul. The word of God pierces with divine authority to transform our lives from the inside out. And then his face. Oh, I love this picture. His face is like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Is that not part of the, the blessing we want to give me his face shine upon you? But it's so much better than this, Andrew. It's not just the face of the brightness of Jesus. And John likens it to the brightness of the sun. But his brightness, his life spills over into our lives and we get to reflect him. <laughs> we get to carry that brightness wherever we go. John says, when he saw him, I fell as though I were dead. No kidding. So let me be really daring right now. Oh, my prayer for the Christian Mystery Alliance is that we would see such a glorious picture of Jesus as he is now that we'd be knocked off our feet. I remember once being in a doctor of ministry class and the Spirit of God showed up with such power and we were being prayed over and everyone being prayed over uh, fell on their faces before God. We were so struck with an overwhelming, profound vision of the living Christ. We couldn't stand up. And they were going to pray over me, and I was a little embarrassed. And the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, I didn't want to fall down in front of all my peers. Oh, boy, that ended quickly. Because as they prayed, I saw a glorious sense of the living Christ. They couldn't stand. And I didn't care what anybody thought. I just wanted to be in his presence, basking in his glory. The last uh, trip overseas I was able to have was in March. I went to Azerbaijan. And there I, I met a man uh, by the name of Pastor Idris. And Pastor Idris was part of a crime family. And uh, he tells the story of when he came to Christ that he'd been told by his father that he was to go with his cousin the next day and they were to rob a bank. And that night before they were to have the, the bank hold up the next day, his room filled with a glorious sense of light. And he knew it was the presence of Jesus, even though he knew very little about Jesus at that point in his life. And he saw the glory and the manifest presence of Jesus in his room. And he heard Jesus say, I love you, Idris, and I have saved you for me. This is my last call. Come and follow me. And Idris said, I immediately fell on my face and I repented and I followed Jesus. The next day I told my cousin and my cousin said he was going to kill me. And Idris said, go ahead, because I know I will go to Jesus. And then he said, 
You know what, Dave? I went to bed a Muslim and woke up a Christian. The startling reality of dreams and visions that are capturing the lives of people and transforming them forever. I say, oh God, bring some dreams and visions to North America. Amen? As men and women, we would be staggered by the glory of Jesus. He went on to plant a series of churches in Azerbaijan, 87, 12 in Baku, the capital city. 22,000 connect with him on internet every single day. He is making such an impact in Azerbaijan that the government officials came to him not to arrest him, but to say, your people are having such a profound impact on our country. We want you to preach about this Jesus more and more. Come on. That's a powerful transformation. But it always begins with a heart of humility. Oh, my prayer for our Alliance Church is that we'd experience an inbreaking, an unveiling of the glorious Jesus as he is now, that we would fall to our faces in radical humility. But notice where this Jesus is. He is walking in the midst of the lampstands. Oh, this is great news for us. First Alliance Church, where is Jesus as he is now? Where is he? He's walking among his churches. He's walking with you right now. You are not forgotten. In fact, you are still the apple of his eye. And Jesus is walking amid the churches. He knows First Alliance Church. He knows your vision. He knows your aspirations. And hallelujah, Pastor Tim, Pastor Andrew, he is at work in this place. That's who he is. Greg Fink said it this way. Jesus is already on the loose out there in our neighborhoods. Yes, in Scarborough. Hallelujah workplaces, in schools, and he's already doing the heavy lifting of working in the lives of those around us. And he invites us to join him. The last posture is the posture of hope. And John is touched by the hand of the one who holds the keys. Oh, John is touched by the hands of one who holds the planets. John is touched by Almighty God. Then John says he placed his right hand on me. And said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. But now look. And again, this is a command. Now look. Open your eyes, John. What are you seeing? I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Guys, this may sound a little silly, but I get up in the morning and I raise my hand in the air. And the sign is, he holds the keys today. (laughs) He holds the keys today. The keys of death and Hades. Literally what's being said in this this moment is stop being afraid. Look, I have the keys. This is a declaration of victory. Jesus was crucified. He entered into the realm of death and Hades. But hallelujah, death could not hold him. And on the third day, he rose from the dead as conquering king. And I love what Fred Hartley says. And he grabbed the keys of death and Hades with his own bare hands. You see, I hold the keys is a lion-hearted roar for us today, a declaration of authority, power, and victory. It is the fire that stirs our mission passion to reach the nations. Jesus broke the power of sin and hell and death. Fear has lost its hold. And I know I speak to people who maybe are immersed in fear right now, fear of the uncertain, fear of health concerns, fear of financial fallout. Oh, I want to declare over you, fear has been broken in Jesus' name because he holds the keys of death and Hades. 
The danger at a moment like this is to rely on our own perspective in order to stabilize the situation, but fail to access God's perspective in order to maximize the situation. It's not been an easy year for this extrovert. I'm an extrovert on a starvation diet, folks. This has not been easy. And preaching into a camera is tough for a guy like me. Thanks for your patience. I know I'm jumping around a lot, but anyway, that's me. I was living a dream a year ago. I was preaching in multiple churches. I was seeing people get healed, people getting saved. The last time I spoke, I saw seven Iranian folks come to Christ at the end of the service. I was over the top with just seeing the the power and glory of God being manifest. And all that changed. Boom. In one moment. For the last eight months, I feel like I've been a Zoom zombie. And so I said, God, what do I need to do? Wrong question. He said, open your eyes. And you know what? As I opened my eyes, we just moved into a real neighborhood. And God said, you know what, David? You've been traveling so much, you've never been a good neighbor. Now you get to be a good neighbor. (laughs) And so I met my neighbor. His name is Steve. And Steve and I became good friends. And Steve trusted me enough to share some of the deepest brokenness in his soul. His son committed suicide over a year ago. And it devastated and decimated him. And yet as we began to build trust with one another, I remember the day I said, Steve, have you ever thought about the difference Jesus can make in your life? And he shared how Jesus died for him, paid for his sins, and how he could walk in newness of life and be forgiven and be set free and be healed. And I'll still remember, as, as I said to Steve, would you like to receive Christ? And he said, yeah, but I don't know how. And I said, I think I can help you with that. And I, I led him in a very simple prayer. And on my back deck, I watched Steve move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That just never gets old. Have you opened your eyes? (laughs) What do you see? As the opportunities that are unfolding right in front of you. You see, my mission field was five steps from my door. (laughs) What a profound reality. Have you been touched by the one who holds the keys? Mission-focused passion is not based on the changing of our circumstances. And yes, I want COVID to be done now. Oh, God, make it so. But it's not dependent on our circumstances. It is dependent on standing firm on the unchanging reality of the one who holds the keys. Because the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. And I conclude with this. Oh, this gets so much better. The one who holds the keys dwells in us. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, we've been made alive with him. We've been raised up with him. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. That word with means we are in an indissolvable union with Jesus. It's a profound word. You see, Jesus never invites us into missional passion and says, go do it. Rather, it's always an invitation. Come, be filled with my glory. Be filled with my presence. Watch what I'm doing and join me. Isn't that great? That's the power of what Jesus says. Louis Giglia said it this way, it's not Jesus and me, it's Jesus in me. My friend Bernie Vanderwall, a great theologian, said, it is not just life from Christ, but the life of Christ. Christ himself that the Christian receives. Partington, a great 
Alliance theologian from years ago said, it is not imitation. We don't just try to imitate Christ. It's incarnation. It's his very life in us. Two summers ago, I got to uh, check another thing off my bucket list. I always wanted to go skydiving. I know that's crazy. But I finally convinced Agnes that it was an okay idea. And don't worry, my insurance was all paid up. We were in a good place. And so I, I went to the Toronto uh, uh, skydiving place and went through all the training. And I can still remember that moment as we're 10,000 feet above the ground. And, and I'm watching everybody else get sucked out of the plane. And, and I'm attached in a tandem jump to a guy by the name of Nick, a wild South African that every jump was like his first jump. He was just incredibly excited about everything. And as we were preparing to, to, to jump out of the plane together, I, I had this theological epiphany. And I said this to Nick. I said, Nick, when we jump out of the plane, because I'm linked to you, all of your experience, wisdom, strength, and expertise actually becomes mine. And he laughed with an hysterical South African accent. And he said, and all your liabilities become mine. And we went to the door, and he could tell that I was really nervous. And even though there was a lot of noise, I'll never forget him yelling the most unintuitive statement I've ever heard when you're ready to jump out of a plane. He said to me these profound words, rest your head on my shoulder. Come on, I'd known him for 45 minutes. And he's saying, trust me with your life. I've known Jesus for over 50 years. Sometimes I don't trust him, especially when I'm in crisis you can trust him you can because the life of Christ is in you the hope of glory I simply declare this over you oh God open our eyes to see you Jesus as you are at this moment the risen the glorified one shining like the sun with fire in your eyes holding in your hands the keys of death and Hades walking in the middle of your churches dwelling within us so it's okay to jump no really I dare you jump into this glorious missional opportunity even in the middle of a pandemic spirit of the living God fall fresh on all who are listening in this moment Move into the places and spaces where we feel most insecure, most undone. And encounter us with a fresh vision of the living Christ. Knock us off our feet. Fill us with courage and hope and wisdom and anticipation for what you are going to do in this very moment of history as we keep our eyes on you. And yes, as we rest our head on your shoulder and jump. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.